This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Mike, today's podcast will come out around the 18th of October 2023. What's interesting is I went back and looked at, well, when did we do our first podcast? And believe it or not, it was five years ago. And for the past five years, we've tried to produce a podcast every week. We've missed a few weeks, especially in the early years. But we're trying to get 52 podcasts out to our audience uh, every year. We've been doing it for over five years. We've covered a lot of different topics. Some of them we've reviewed a couple of times. But hopefully our audience uh, appreciates the work that we do. If you think you've heard a great podcast from us, please share it with your friends, family members, anyone who you think might benefit from it. But thanks for being our audience over the years. Uh, Mike and I enjoy doing them. Uh, We have a room downstairs in our office called the Podcast Room. um, And uh, we look forward to creating many more podcasts in the years to come. This week on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing everybody is running to GICs. Mike, what is going on? Why is everyone talking about GICs again? You know, I started my career as a GIC salesperson. (laughs) So you're a GIC expert. I was working for a deposit broker in Richmond Hill. A long time ago, the name was Ken Brown Investments back in the early 90s. And all they did was GICs. So their entire business was GICs. Entire business was GICs. And so how did that work? How, did they have their own GICs or what, what, what was the approach? Deposit broker was actually an interesting thing at the time because what they did is it was this uh, company, Ken Brown Investments, was created by uh, – Ken Brown was, a, uh, was the first real boss I had. He was actually a very, very good businessman. And he worked for one of the main banks – and uh, he did a lot of tax returns. He had a lot of farmers uh, in the Markham area as clients. As they began to sell their, their farms, they got mass amounts of money. And when I say mass amounts, it's nothing today. But, it's, but someone would get you know, five or $600,000 for a farm back then. That was a mass amount of money. And when they went to go put their money in the bank, people used to be very concerned about CDIC uh, deposit limits. And it used to be $60,000. I know it's $100,000 now, but back in that day, it was $60,000. And just for anyone's knowledge, CDIC is Canadian Deposit Insurance Corporation. And what they do is any trust company or bank that's run through CDIC, if that company fails, and some of them used to, they would go, the government would come and uh, give you all your money that you had invested up to that, at that time, $60,000 limit, today, $100,000 limit. So it adds a bit of protection. I guess we're not concerned about it with the big banks, but there were a lot of banks at that time, back in the 90s. I think we had a few that actually went under. I think there's one called Prenner Trust, and there was another one. There was a few different companies that ran into some uh, problems, and uh, CDIC had to come in and bail them out. So uh, as this per, as uh, this Ken Brown was dealing with all these farmers with all this money, they kept on saying, can you get me... Uh, can you get that million dollars invested for me and make sure it's all under the CDIC limits? So working for one bank, he had issues. So he went and called all his friends in the industry 
and said, can you help me out with this? So different registered banks to make sure they could spread this amongst, uh, let's say, 12 or 15 financial institutions. And he did this for a bunch of clients, and he began to have all these institutions send him faxes every day to tell them the current best rates they could get. So from that, he realized he could start a business by taking all these rate sheets, and the faxes would come in every morning. He'd find out what the best one, th- one, two, three, four, and five-year rates were, and when someone had money come and due, you'd put them with the best, the best trust best company. Best rate of the day. Best rate of the day. So it was actually a very good business. And when I started off, GIC rates were, I believe, around 9%. They, they were somewhere between 8 and 10% at that time because interest rates were pretty high. And that goes back to when I started in the business. And so interest rates had been high. And then interest rates started to come down from those high levels. And... What was interesting for me is most of our new money that came in in the early 90s when I started as a financial advisor came from GICs. And we would basically take these GICs because they were maturing and interest rates were half of what they used to be. And we would take those GICs and invest that money in mutual funds, which were earning a, a much higher return at the time over time. And I remember the early days in the 90s, it was, it was easy. I remember Canada Trust, they weren't offering very good rates at the time. And a client would come in, they would have, uh, you know, half a million dollars in GICs with Canada Trust. We would bring them over as they matured and gradually reinvest that money. So then we go through a period, especially over the last 10 years, where GICs had essentially disappeared from the discussion. Interest rates were so low, 1% to 2%, no one wanted to lock their money up at 1% to 2%. Now, there was still a portion of the population that invested in those GICs, but it was very small, very conservative investors that weren't willing to take any risk. So what's changed, Mike? Well, interest rates, as we know, have started to lead the lead the charge in the last year. So interest rates have gone up tremendously by the government. This is the biggest increase we've seen, I think, ever from the government over this period of time. So now, you know, we used to go and look at GIC rates for the past several years have been south of 2%. Currently, uh, one-year GIC rates at 5.6, two years is at 5.65, three years is at 5.35, four years at 5.1, and five years is at 52 so, and remember, this is something that's a very unique situation. This is what we call an inverted yield curve. So generally speaking, the longer you invest, the more interest you get paid. You notice the one-year GIC rates are higher than the five-year GIC rates. So that's your first warning sign because that's not usual. So this could be the peak of GIC rates is what you're saying. That shows you the expectations of everyone. So they don't expect them to stay where they are. So what's interesting there is you look at the one year, which is at 5.6%, and that, that's the most attractive. So you might want to invest in that one. The only problem is 12 months from now, that money, let's say you bought a $100,000 GIC at 5.6%, which is a nice one-year return. But 12 months from now, that GIC may be, will, will be coming due and interest rates may be completely different 12 months from now than they are today. The government is certainly hoping that interest rates are cheaper because they're hoping that inflation is lower. So there, it is interesting, and, and you can obviously see you get attracted to that higher return. 
What I want to do, though, is today I want to drill down and show you why GICs probably aren't the right investment for a long-term plan. And it always comes down to where are you putting that GIC? Are you putting that GIC in your tax-free savings account? Are you putting it in your RSP or RIF account? Or are you putting it in your open account? And I would say probably the worst place to put it is in your open account. So Mike, what, what are the tax implications on putting a GIC in your open account today for someone who's saving for retirement or someone who's already retired? Well, let's, let's do the math here. So let's say you put $100,000 into a GIC. Rates we say currently, when we look, they're about 5.2%, uh, okay? so. Your income at the end of the year off that would be $5,200. So first of all, GIC is interest income. It's top to eight year tax at your top marginal rate. So I'm going to use a 40% tax bracket. That's anyone who's making eighty dollars to $120,000 a year. I of guess, taxable of, income. Of, of taxable income, somewhere in that range. Uh, and if they make more than that, it's going to be in a higher tax rate too. So that would cost you a tax of about... 2.08% or $2,080. So that's what you're going to pay in tax. Okay. Now we have, we got to forget, what's the other thing that we've talked about a lot? Why are these interest rates going up? What's the reason behind them? Inflation. Inflation. So obviously if we're getting higher interest rates, there that means we have inflation. So let's take a conservative number for inflation compared to where it's been in the last year. Let's just use 3.2%. Okay. And that's sort of a longer-term inflation number, 3%, 3.2. Today, right now in Canada, it's about 4.1%. So we're going to pick a little more conservative number of 3.2. So that means you're going to lose $3,200 to inflation. Okay? So when you start to do the math, you start off with 5200 You took away $2,080 worth of tax, and then you had $3,000 lost for inflation. And so what are you left with at the end of the day? About $120. So does that seem like a good investment? <laughs> well, you started with 100000 And in theory, after taxes and inflation, that's the only money that you can spend. No, that doesn't seem like a pretty good strategy. Yeah, so... And in fact, if we use that 4% inflation number that we're currently facing, you're into negative territory. You've actually lost money on... Your portfolio, you're actually down $1,000 of, so a year from now, your purchasing power is only $99,000, not the $100,000 that you started with. So let's get this straight. You invest $100,000 for a year and you can buy two cases of beer. <laughs> is that what we're saying? Is a case of beer now $60? I think it's, I think they're, what's an import? 54 or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. So after a full year of investments with $100,000, you can buy two cases of beer. So a lot of investors don't understand the math. Listeners of our podcast know we're always ta talking about returns after taxes, after inflation. Why is there still this run to GICs? And we don't know whether it's a run, but we certainly hear that the banks are, are converting a lot of money into GICs. Rob Carrick said, this is the age of anxiety. It's been a nervous period for the last few years. We had COVID. We saw the market drop 30%. Uh, 
We've been heading a recession for five years now. <laughs> We've been talking about a recession for, well, at least three or four years. Yeah. We actually had a client tell us, what do you mean? We're headed, we're already in a recession. And I decided not to engage with him. Um, by all standards, we're not in a recession yet. Regardless, investors are nervous. And then we had last year, which was the worst year on record for stocks and bonds combined. And so, and it, suddenly that 5% looks very attractive. And you can lock that in and it's guaranteed. That kind of makes a lot of sense. What should investors be thinking about besides just that coupon rate of 5.2% or 5.6%? Well, you got to think about tax, how your investments being taxed. So, you know, we look at an order. Capital gains is your favorite. Capital gains is taxed one half your tax rates. Dividends are about two thirds your tax rate. Uh, but when you go to interest income, you're taxed at your full marginal tax rate, which is just a killer. So I was thinking of, you know, we, we work with a lot of retired clients. And one of the things we're always doing is trying to make sure that they can get as much of their old age security benefit as possible. And one of the issues they're going to face in 2023 and maybe 2024 is now that interest rates are higher and if they have any fixed investments, they're going to have higher interest income. And it may be enough to claw back even more of that old age security. So let me give you an example. Take that $100,000 investment before. Three years ago, it was earning 1% generating $1,000 worth of interest income. Now it might be earning 5%, generating $5,000 worth of interest income. That's an increase of $4,000, five times the interest income that it was three years ago. Suddenly that $4,000 worth of interest income may make them have to claw back part of that old age security. And it's almost dollar for dollar. So not only are you paying 40% tax, but you're also losing the old age security benefit. Yeah. So it's like a double tax. And unlike capital gains that happen when you trigger them, interest comes every year, whether you take the money out or not. So whether you took your payment from a GIC or you didn't, you still have to pay the interest for that year. It doesn't even come, a lot of times if you have a, a GIC that's not paying the interest out, you still have to pay the interest costs or tax on the interest earned. The next thing I want to do is, is just look at, you know, why are the banks doing this and what are they doing with that money? What's it, going on? By, why are Canadian banks so profitable? Let's explore the math behind that. Well, there's no fees on GICs, right? There are no fees on GICs. They, there's not a dollar that the bank makes on a GIC. Is that true? Well, let's talk about spreads. So there's different ways to, to get paid. So you can get paid off commissions, you can be paid off fees. The banks many term, uh, times work on something we call a spread. So if you look at a, uh, a GIC where you're going to get 5%, what do you think they're doing with that money? Where, where do you think uh, when you give the bank that money, what do you think the next thing they do, do with it is? Well, if they get enough of that money, they just turn around and loan it out. And do they loan it out at 5%? No, not today. They'd loan it out if it was a variable rate at about 7.62%. So they're taking the difference in there, which goes straight into their, their profits. And that's where the banks make a killing over time is the spreads they get on these interest rates. And when interest rates get higher, 
they get heavier spreads too. So the banks have been, you see the profits come out of the bank. Bank stocks have been doing poor because of a lot of concerns over the housing situation, but the, the profits have been actually okay. And that's because these interest rate spreads continue to, to go up and they're making a decent amount of money on, uh, on the spreads between mortgages and GICs. What's interesting is the higher rates go, the bigger the spread that they can create. So when interest rates were 1% to 2%, it was really difficult to be charging 4% on a mortgage because it just didn't seem right. But now that interest rates are 5%, it's easy to charge 7.5% on a mortgage. It's not quite as, it doesn't seem like quite as big a penalty. Now, we're not, we're not saying banks are evil here. This is their business. This is how they keep the lights on. They have to make a profit. They have to charge fees to their investors to make a profit to survive. Remember, you could always, if you wanted to, you could take your money and go find someone that needed your money, make it 7%. If you wanted to, everyone says cut out the middleman. People want to do things themselves. If you want to take your $100,000 and walk down the street, you can find someone who will pay you 7% for your $100,000. You got to do the paperwork to secure it, and you got to be responsible for foreclose on the house if they can't pay and collecting debt payments and everything like that. But you can do it yourself and save that 2.6% and put in your pocket. But it's funny, I find lots of people are do-it-yourself investors. No one wants to be a do-it-yourself mortgage <laughs> mortgage taker. Unless, of course, you're a loan shark. Yeah, and they have a whole different uh, They have expenses. a different model. Their, yeah. uh, their spread is a lot higher. Yep. Yeah. And we know what happens if, if, if you don't make the payments. Another feature of GICs, and I talk about this all the time in a podcast, is liquidity. So what's the problem, Mike, with liquidity on a GIC? You can't have them when you want them. They're locked in for a time-specific period of time, and they're not accessible. Uh, different companies have different rules on how you access them. Minimum is you lose all your interest from day one, but generally speaking, a lot of companies won't even uh, let you access them under any circumstances. And even sometimes, you know, we've had difficulty in the, some, some let you off in a state situation, some don't. Like, they have a lot of uh, complications to them. Did you face that uh, any of the time you were at Ken Brown's where clients needed their money and it was locked in? Yeah, many times. And things happen. Life happens. And sometimes you need money because, you know, you're, you needed a new roof because it's leaking. And, and suddenly you need to get to a bigger sum of money that you may have locked up in a GIC. Now, there's such a thing as cashable GICs. What's the disadvantage to those? They're going to have a lower rate. So they're going to pay a lower level of interest? So, so if you think about it, a GIC is really just a bond, right? There, it's an illiquid bond. And more important than being illiquid, it's an unpriced bond, right? So when we see all the bond market, and this may get a little bit technical, but in the last year we saw the bond market fall apart, right? All the bonds in the portfolio lost a tremendous amount of value. And that's because bonds, if you bought a five-year bond two years ago, you're buying a 2% five-year bond. And as the price has changed, because you can get 5% bonds now, the price has dropped because no one wanted a 2% bond anymore. If I can buy a new 5% bond, why am I going to pay any money for your 2% bond? So there's many people that are now holding five-year GICs that they bought two years ago. And they think they're worth the same amount of money. They paid $100,000. They think they're worth $100,000. Would you now give someone $100,000 for their 2% GIC with three years left? No, what? because... Just on that alone, there's 2% times three years 6%. is 6% difference. So I would probably only give them $94,000 for that $100,000 GIC. But the problem is it doesn't show up on their statement. 
with right. bonds it shows on the statement, with GICs, they never have to tell them how much it's worth until it comes up and uh, they get the maturity value. So it's really just, in reality, there is a cost in GICs. It just doesn't show up on your statements. It was interesting, this past weekend in the Globe and Mail, there was an article, the authors shall remain nameless, but, and it was talking about how GICs are just as good as bonds over the last 20 years. And the problem was with the article is that for 17 of those 20 years, bonds had dramatically outperformed GICs. But because interest rates changed so much in the last three years, the two of them actually looked pretty even today. Um, I thought the, there should have been a few footnotes on that article to explain that they might be doing some what we call in the industry data mining to present a, uh, a case. So. Where do you think a GIC fits in, Mike, for you? Uh, GIC is never – GIC, if you have a specific uh, expense that's coming at a specific time, let's say you, you, bought, a, you bought a house that's going to close a year from now. You put a down payment on a house, and you know there's a specific closing date one year from now, and you need to have money available for that day. That's a good position to have a GIC because you know it's going to mature out. You don't have to have any risk. And it's a very safe alternative to have the money in there. That, I find, is the best use of a GIC. We had an interesting case. We had a client going through a divorce. They knew it was going to take a long time to settle. They had a large sum of money, over a million dollars. And it went into a GIC for a year because they knew no decision was going to happen. A year later, we know a decision is going to happen. We're not going to lock it up for another year in a GIC. We put it into a more flexible investment that's earning almost the identical interest income. And when that divorce gets settled, sometime in 2024, the funds are made available and are completely liquid. There are also a part of the market that should be in GICs. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in a future podcast about the bell curve of, of investors. There are some investors who are extremely conservative. And you and I have encountered many of them over the years. It's not a small part. It's less than 5% of investors. But any fluctuation in the value, the, the value of their investment, they lose sleep. And so a GIC does make sense for that type of investor. There was a stat a while ago that uh, this wouldn't be true probably in the last 10 years, but before then, your average GIC investor did better than your average investor. And the reason was all investor error. And when they look at your average investor, what happened was they'd go in and out of the market. they go in the market when it's really high, and they'd jump out of the market when it's low, and they kept on flipping back and forth. And the idea back then was you're better off having a concert, have someone just in a GIC never change strategies than have someone that keeps on jumping strategies. But if you have an advisor and you don't jump strategies all the time, you're going to be much better off being outside of the GIC world. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management reminding you to live the life that makes you happy.
You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.